I'm pumped. It's been a fun morning so far. God is at work. It's a crazy season in the life of our church. I just want to celebrate that Mercy Road downtown on Mass Avenue launched this morning at 10 a.m. Can we celebrate that together? I can't wait to hear the stories of what God does down there. Northwest, uh, we are in the final stages of finishing that building. We hope to be in there sometime in December and grand openings in January. It's an exciting time in the life of the church. And then you heard a little bit about that future Geist location. Be sure and get on. uh, Go to mercyroad.cc forward slash compassion or go to our social media and sign up for one of those compassion dinners at the new building we hope to close on on January 31st right next to downtown Fortville. It's exciting to see what God's up to. But in the middle of all that, it can also seem like a crazy season that could just create stress. We're going to talk about that this morning as we kick off a new teaching series called Masters of the Margin. How many of you have ever seen an episode of He-Man, baby? Come on. The greatest cartoon show in the history of humankind. And this may be the weirdest or, I think, the most incredible, awesome sermon series we have ever done. In fact, and I'm not making this up, you should have got one on the way in. If you didn't, you can still get your limited edition collector's He Margin card this morning right out at the Connect Center where the concrete slab is. And we're going to have a different collectible, I'm not making this up, limited edition card that you and your kids can pick up every week. And here's the thing. If your kids take each of these home, there is a Bible memory verse that goes with that week. If they take it home and they memorize the Bible memory verses, all four of them, through the four-week teaching series, we're going to give them a prize at the end of the series. So can't wait to see how God uses that. But this morning, we're going to talk about how to reclaim the margins of our life. You ever find like you're stressed out all the time? Anybody kind of in a busy, stressful season right now? Maybe you're feeling just a little overwhelmed. Some of you are like, no, I've got it all under control. Just ask me. If you feel a little overwhelmed or maybe you feel anxious at times, I want to talk about what that looks like, biblically speaking, how to address that in our lives, how to reclaim margin again. The the definition, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary for margin, is a spare amount or measure or degree allowed or given for contingencies or special situations. Whether it's extra margin of your time, extra margin of your finances. Most Americans live paycheck to paycheck today. 55% of Americans do. We're more in debt than any time in American history. What's it look like to create margin again in your life with your time, with your financial resources? What's it look like to find spiritual rest? How could you be the calmest person in the room when chaos is going on around you? Let me give you a little research project here, just so we understand like, what I mean by anxious or anxiety and relaxed. You ever look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament? The guy is in the most stressful situations we have ever seen. For three years, he's going from city to city, living as a nomadic person with 12 uh, you know, youth group guys. He's taking the youth group on the road, and when he gets to towns, many of them are running him out of town, calling him a blasphemer. And by the time he gets to Jerusalem, they take him, they whip him with a cat of nine tails 39 times. They make him take a tree trunk, carry it a mile up a hill to a place called Golgotha, which means the skull, where he will be nailed to it, crucified, and he will suffocate to death. And he endured all that because it made a way so that anyone here today, no matter our sin, our brokenness, our shame, our guilt, our mistakes, 
Any, every single one of us could draw near to a perfect God if, if we surrender control of our life to him. And that's the hard part. And that's what I want to talk about. Because the Bible says a lot about the way that we worry and we stress and we get overwhelmed. I want to show you some pictures, and I want you to tell me, does this stress you out, make you anxious, or does this make you, like, totally relax? Let's show the first picture here. Anybody have agoraphobia? Fear of crowds? Okay, so you look at that, and you're just like, man, that is a stressful situation. That's pretty easy at the beginning here. What about this one right here? Does this make you stress? Or How many of you go, why do I live in the state of Indiana right now? <laughs> right? You could be living on the beach. All you need is a few million dollars. Next picture. Why does that make you stressed? That's God's creation. That mama has just procreated. What is wrong with you human beings? We should celebrate that. But that makes you stressed out and overwhelmed, right? What about the next picture? Maybe that's your jam. You don't want to be out in God's creation. You want to have a cup of coffee with the book and just look out at it. What about this next picture? Stressed or overwhelmed? Some of you, that's going to happen. Some of you, you wake up in the morning and you wake up to your kid crying Every single day. That's the start to your day. And so you do what good parents do. You hit the snooze button 10 times. Right? And then you finally get up. And then you're late for work already. You got to get the kid ready. You got to get them to wherever they got to get to. And then you get late to work and you're running behind. And then you get to Carmel. And then they got all the roundabouts. You're just like, curse this city and their roundabouts. And then you finally get to work and you're a little bit late. Somebody dumps all their responsibilities on you. And now you're so stressed out and overwhelmed. You just want to throw in the towel and give up and hate the world. Amen? It's funny how things can stress us out. What about this next picture? Oh, man, some of you are just like, oh, how do I, how do I, could that be the rest of my life? See, I believe when you read the New Testament, and we're going to look at Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And in these 10 verses, we're going to see how he tells us, you could actually live like this next picture. Let's show it. That guy is over rapids that he could plummet to his death. He's just relaxing in the hammock, hammock, and he's totally cool, relaxed. I believe in the New Testament, we see the life of Jesus in a way that in the most stressful situations, he is able to find rest. And, you know, as we talk about creating margins in our life so that we're not always living on edge, I'm going to begin with the most important aspect of it today. It's probably the most hard of the four-week teaching series because the truth is it's a contrarian view of what the world teaches us. The world teaches us that if you would like to increase the margins of your life, you need to take control, you need to organize your calendar, you need to organize and things that can be healthy aspects, and we'll talk about some of that. But the first thing you have to do as a follower of Jesus is the opposite. You have to relinquish control and seek his kingdom first, not your own, which is the hardest aspect of creating margin in your life. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? says this, Matthew 20, uh, chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Wait, let's leave that up there for just a second. Because I know we hear that, and we're like, oh, that's Jesus, God incarnate, but that's just some platitude Christians say, that we don't really believe that or live that out. Do you believe that God could take care of the food on your table? That's like one of the basic necessities of life. And he just very flippantly, it seems, says, uh, just trust him. He's going to provide. 
See, that's kind of the hard part of seeking God first in our lives is that we have to begin with understanding that he truly is in control. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Somebody, some of you in the room or attending online, you would have decades of extra life if worrying meant you got another day. In fact, scientifically, it tells us the opposite. The more you worry, the shorter you're probably going to live. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the richest king in Israelite history, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the key for this week. It's the, the memory verse on the card. But seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And that's the hardest part, isn't it? Because I don't know about you. When I'm stressed or I'm overwhelmed or I'm worrying and I want to create more relaxation in my life. I don't seek his kingdom first. I seek Netflix first. Or maybe it's Instagram first. Or maybe it's alcohol first. Or maybe it's drugs first. Or maybe it's power first. Or popularity. What are you seeking today? He says, if you want to live the way that Jesus lived, that he had enough margin in his life to be with people and not always just on the go, it began by seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, before we pray, I want to tell you kind of the big idea here. There is power. There is power to fight against the enemy and what he wants to do in your life. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. That you don't have to live stressed out, overwhelmed, all the time. And it's in the power of margin in your life. In this case, today for our purposes, in the power of the he margin, all right? Stay with me. And the power of the he margin is found in prioritizing God's kingdom first. He is the one that provides the power. That's the best, isn't it? He always pulled that sword out. He's like, I have the power. By the power of grace, God. No, that's not the power according to the New Testament. It says that as you seek his kingdom first and create margin because he is working in and through you, it's a power and authority to live out your life in a way that other people in our culture are unable to. And that's the heart of what I'd love to discuss with you. The power of the he margin is found in prioritizing God's kingdom first. Will you pray with me? God, uh, in this crazy, fun series, I just pray that you'd speak to us through your word. We acknowledge your presence here. And some of us are going through really hard life issues. We're going to talk about some of that. God, we pray that the stress that we're experiencing in our life, that we would create margin in our life so that we could be love you first and others second. And God, we would do that by starting by seeking your kingdom. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. All these people this week, we've had so many people here this weekend, and people in American culture don't 
gather like this today, and yet they've all done it, and we want to hear from your word, God. Get rid of my words. Replace them with yours. We love you, Jesus. We give you this time. Pray it in your name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Here's, here's the problem, though. The enemy doesn't want you to have margin. He doesn't want you to seek God's kingdom first and believe that he's going to provide you with the necessities that you need in your life to create the margin that you can love God first and others second. He wants to get you real busy with things that seem really important, stressed out, so you treat other people poorly, you don't make time for your heavenly father, and you even don't treat yourself well in the process. I told you guys last week, um, you know, I'm coaching a fifth grade basketball team, and I know you guys don't really care, but that's my life right now. I have nothing else to share. So I was, <laughs> was at a basketball game again yesterday, and last week we came from behind, baby, and we got the victory, and everybody's celebrating. This weekend, we executed the game plan in the first half. We were up 12 to 7 at the halftime, major blowout. Second half, though, they upped the pressure. And we started succumbing to dribbling into like triple teams. And then we made lots of turnovers. And then we started doing things when the opposition was attacking us that we just started making errant passes and passing all over. I mean, it was real bad. I blame the refs for the loss. But, you know, it definitely it wasn't the coaching that was one of the best coach fifth grade basketball games I've ever seen. Fantastic. Well done. But, you know, when that happened, all of a sudden we started making mistakes that we wouldn't normally make. And I find, spiritually speaking, when the enemy kind of lumps up everything in your life and you start getting overwhelmed and stressed out, you just begin to give up. And the next thing you know, your life is filled with things you never thought it was going to be filled with. It begins with seeking his kingdom first. Because when we do that, he creates the margin for us. And here's why having margin is really important. Craig Rochelle, a pastor in Oklahoma, says this, when your margin decreases... The time, the resources that you have, and you begin, number one, your stress increases. We all see that. You're running late because you didn't make enough time. All of a sudden, you're more stressed out. Can't pay your bills because you paid with the credit card and you got too far in debt. You get more stressed out. And what happens is we start going, but I'm so stressed out and overwhelmed all the time. I've given up hope, so I'm just going to take more debt out on the credit card so I can go on vacation because I'm just so overwhelmed in my life. And this cyclical process begins. It starts by seeking his kingdom first and allowing him to create some margin in your life. The second thing it does is it, your relational intimacy decreases. Don't miss week three. Pastor Darren's going to be here talking about the story of Mary and Martha. And those two women uh, tackled the presence of Jesus in their home very differently. One of them made time to sit at his feet and be with people. If you have margin in your life, you can be with the people that God has strategically placed in your life to love them well. And when you're so busy all the time and overwhelmed and stressed out, that often the intimacy with those people often is lost. So if you want to create margin, I'm going to give you two simple steps here of how to create margin in your life, according to Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the first one is this, and it's the hardest part of this whole thing. Remember, God is in control of his creation. It's the simplest, right? All you got to do is remember, but that's the hardest. <laughs> it's the hardest thing. When you get stressed out, you don't really think that God cares anymore, that he's really in control of his creation. Look at the first couple verses that we read, verses 25 and 26. It said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. He says, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear is not life more than food and body more than clothes. And then he says the next verse, look at the birds in the air. They don't, do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable 
than they. God created the universe in six days and took the seventh day off because he could. And I got to remember this sometimes. Did you knit yourself together in your mother's womb? Do you know the numbers of hair on your head? The Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament is very clear. The sovereignty of God is, is that he's truly in control. The problem is there is evil and sin in the world, and we begin to doubt and question God in every aspect. And rather than trusting him, we're often like, prove yourself first, and then I'll take the step of faith. But you can't do it. It doesn't work that way. You have to trust and act in faith first, and then God shows up and provides. It begins with seeking his kingdom first. It's hard, isn't it? It's real hard. I love it. One of my favorite passages about the Christmas story, we may study it, I don't know, in December, is Matthew chapter 1. In those first verses, it gives the genealogy of Jesus. It's such a boring passage. Unless you see it that there were 14 generations from David to the exile and 14 generations from the exile to the birth, and you get to see the sovereign plan of God for thousands of years of human history planned out because he knew what he was doing. When things aren't going well and we're getting overwhelmed, like a fifth-grade basketball team, we start just giving up and making mistakes we wouldn't normally make because we've thrown in the towel. We've given up hope that God even cares anymore. We have to remember that God is in control of his creation. I don't know about you, but I often seek control. Apparently, the Enneagram assessment is an important thing in our culture today, and I have been assessed as an eight on the Enneagram, which basically means two things. One, no one likes you. Two, that you seek control in every aspect of your life. The Bible says seek his kingdom first, not your own, that you have to relinquish control. It's the only way you'll see his power live in and through you. You don't want to live by your own power and authority. There's a guy uh, I worked with in Southern California when I was working at the, the church out there. His name was Scott Connell. And I've always thought of him as just an encouragement in trusting God's provision in your life. Scott, in his mid-60s, retired as an... Uh, executive at uh, AT&T after decades of, of working there, and he went to work as a pastor part-time with adult ministry at the large church I was at in Southern California. He did a lot of hospital visitations and ministering to the 70-plus, and just an amazing man of faith. And I remember uh, as a young 20-something, and I was trying to afford to live you know, in Southern California and the costs that are associated there, and Scott actually found this back house. It used to be a garage but it was a back house that I was able to live in less expensively than normal. And he used to go, Josh, isn't that so cool how God provided that back house so that you could afford to, to live on mission the way he wants you to? And I'll be honest, as a 20-something, I was thinking, not really. Free would have been awesome. <laughs> right, I'm still paying rent. This is just kind of the, you know, the way it worked out. And then I, I, uh, he used to tell me, Josh, isn't it so cool? How you met your wife at TJ Maxx, which is a true story. Met my wife at TJ Maxx in San Dimas, California, San Dimas High School football rules. And it was, thank you, the one person that laughed at that, thank you. And I was there at TJ Maxx in line shopping for, uh, this is a true story, for candles. Like I was leading a young adult ministry at the time and like candles apparently were the thing. So I had a whole shopping cart full of candles. And I'm on a long line at TJ Maxx, and I realize I'm the only male in the entire store. So I'm trying to get out of there as quickly as possible with a whole cart full of candles, and this woman behind me goes, hey, 
What are you, some kind of candle freak? Well, everybody looked at Lisa. That wasn't Lisa. There was this woman, and I turn around. I'm like, why am I getting accosted in the line here? TJ Maxx just want to get out of here. And she's like, what's with all the candles? I'm like, I'm a pastor. It's a young adult thing. I don't really think it's cool. So I was buying the candles. And then uh, as I'm going out, all of a sudden, she was a lot taller than my wife, who's right over here, Lisa. And she's like, hey, by the way, have you met Lisa? And here's the great thing about God's uh, story and provision. That was actually uh, my, uh, Lisa's ex-boyfriend's mom. And she started a conversation with me, and Lisa was shopping with her ex-boyfriend's mom, which is weird in of itself, but then they, she introduced us, and it was, I don't know, less than a year later, we were married. And it's just funny, so Scott would, Pastor Scott would tell me, isn't that cool how God just provided, I mean, you're in line at TJ, and I was like, no, really, I'm kind of a catch, you know, so I just <laughs> assumed that, no, the, tr- the real story is I asked her out like 35 times, and she said no every time, and then after finally I wore it down and she said yes. But, you know, I didn't appreciate it. And now I look back at the way Scott used to share that with me. Let me tell you the rest of Scott's story. Scott, towards the end of my time in California, got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And in the last months of his life, he was battling this really horrific version of the disease. And he ended up passing away from it. And I remember him sharing it with people in the church and They had a big men's night where he shared like the intimate details of what it's like to struggle with an issue like that. And it was really horrific. And he talked about what it was like to trust God in that situation at that time, to believe that God was still sovereign and still in control. And it was so inspiring because Scott saw God's provision in this back house and providing a wife and and then in in that instant coming through for him in his darkest hour that God is still with him even in the bad. See, God is in control both in the good and in the bad times of our lives. And the question is, if you seek his kingdom first, you have to admit he took care of the birds, he takes care of the grass, where everything's going well and you're getting job promotions and you're finding the love of your life and your kids are all doing really well in school, or you're at your lowest of your lows and you're addicted to alcohol or drugs or your spouse can't stand being in the same room with you or your children are just falling away from the Lord or everyone around you seems to bring a lot of animosity and you don't like the life that you're facing, both in the good and the bad. God is in control. It doesn't mean that you won't have trials and tribulations, the New Testament teaches. It's what we would do and respond in those moments that matters. Scott had a lot of wisdom that he understood that. But number one, if you're taking notes, if you want to create margin in your life, you have to remember God's the one in control. That's why he's, we do number two, seek his kingdom first. Remember verse 33, kind of our theme for this, this day, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And if you do that, all these things will be given to you as well. He will provide for you. He will take care of you. And here, if you're asking, well, okay, that's nice, but how do you actually do that? I want to give you just a few ways that you could actually seek God's kingdom first. You seek his kingdom first by, one, giving him the first of your day. This might be the most old school time of Christianity in Mercy Road here this morning, and I believe it's going to be life-changing for some of you if you develop these spiritual habits. That if you start by seeking God first every day, it will change your day, it will change your week, it will change your year. Uh, it says this in Psalm 55:17, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and hear, 
and he hears my voice. The psalmist has prioritized in the morning and throughout the day that I'm going to seek him first in prayer to hear from him so that I might be provided that he's the one that gives me the power to address the enemy's attacks so I don't get overwhelmed and succumb, that I have the hope that I need to face the day. I love Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, because the power isn't just through prayer. We actually can read his word and learn and hear from him. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that you were to lift up the sword of the spirit, baby. And it's the word of God that gives you the power, the authority to address whatever you got going on in your life. Some of you, you go through your whole day and you're like, I'm a Christian. I've got salvation. I'm going to heaven when I die. I'll talk to you when I get there, Jesus. And and here's what we do. We we look for signs and wonders and we go, God, uh, speak to me through some miraculous things. So then I'll start trusting you and actually begin to walk in faith with you. When he's like, I gave you my word in scripture. And it's amazing. I believe in general revelation, theologically, that you could like watch a movie or you could read a book and God could speak to you through something that you didn't anticipate. You got to check it with scripture and you got to go to wise Christian counsel and make sure it wasn't just the bad pizza you ate last night. But I believe even more so in the special revelation of God that the word of God, scripture, you could base your life on it. And when you go to it, you need to understand it in its original context and not just jump to a 21st century application of something that was written 2,000 years ago. But once you understand its context, you need to then apply it to your life and that God could actually speak to you clearly through his word. It's what gives you the power to face the day that's in front of you by giving him the first of your day in prayer and reading scripture. And I'm amazed, some of us in the room, we have been Christians for so many years, and we don't spend any time in God's word, and then we wonder why we get all stressed and overwhelmed and we're distant from him. That's why we're doing 22 days of prayer and fasting. And I just want to encourage you, I believe in anxiety and mental health issues, and if you're really struggling with stuff, we will help you find a a professional psychologist or marriage and family therapist or PhD to walk with you through those issues, okay? I'm not sharing this as a professional psychologist this morning. That's not the point. I'm here to interpret scripture to you, and what I'm telling you is that if you begin first by seeking his kingdom, you can eliminate that there is any issue that you're not hearing from the Lord in your life first, See, these 22 days of prayer and fasting is prioritizing putting God first in our lives, to seek his kingdom first. And so you're going to wake up and there's going to be scripture through Psalm 119. You can go to social media and we're going to post it each day, but the 22 stanzas for 22 days. And you're going to read it and then you're going to respond in prayer and application from it to your life. And then we're going to encourage you to fast. The concept of fasting is I give something up. In this case, uh, it, it could be social media, it could be music or movies or whatever you want to give up. That is a form of fasting. But we're challenging everyone to try, because in the New Testament, fasting was always a food-related thing, because it was a necessity of life, that you might give up some food-related uh, fast. And we got a whole guide at the Connect Center, the concrete table out there. We'd love for you to pick those up and choose which way you're going to be fasting for these 22 days. And as you miss that thing, they rely on his power and his authority. Because here's the thing, in a tired, stressed out world, what most of us do, rather than seeking his kingdom first, we turn to everything else, our comforts, whether it's food or drugs or alcohol, or we turn to relationships, sexual relationship after sexual relationship, or we turn to the busyness of our lives or 
Netflix or Instagram. And here is what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We're seeking rest from the very things that will never truly provide us with spiritual rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. You've been bearing all this burden and this weight, this yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You want to actually create margin in your life? Go to the one who can truly provide rest for you in this life. Give God the first of your day. Number two, if you're going to seek his kingdom first, do it by giving him the first of your finances. And we'll talk more about this in the coming series. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. But I have seen so much spiritual growth in this area. You can come here for 100 years and never give a dime. We're not after your money. But I would encourage you, if you are a Christian, and this is your home church, Think about what it looks like in this area to trust God. If you just don't trust a church organization, give it somewhere else. There is a spiritual issue that we want to address here that when you're not putting God first in all key areas of your life and finances is one of the things that stresses us out the most. It demonstrates what we're really trusting and what we're really seeking in this world. Proverbs 3, uh, 3 verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, the first fruits of your crops. That would have been difficult, wouldn't it? Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to be wealthy. And I hear a lot of people who claim things on television. And unless I got the $67 million jet plane, that that's what God's going to provide for my my vats are brimming over. No, that is a misteaching of the good news of Jesus. That is not true. It doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy. He may provide wealth, but it's what you do, whether you get wealth or you don't get wealth. It's about honoring him in the process. Either way, you're going to be spiritually rich, and he is going to provide for your needs. It's that act of trust and allowing God in that then you begin to prioritize and create margins. But if you don't put him first in that area, you'll never see that happen. The third point I'd like to make about this is that you seek his kingdom first by trusting him first, not your own understanding. And this really might be the hardest part of the whole thing, of seeking his kingdom first. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that precedes the verses I just read when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. And I can think of very few verses that are the exact opposite of what the culture tells us to do. The culture tells us to, do, to take control, make it happen, get yours, because somebody else is going to take it if you don't. And he says the opposite. Trust me. Acknowledge me. Seek his kingdom first, and he will provide all of these things. Lean not on your own understanding. But I don't know about you. That means I have to surrender. I have to give up control. And that's awful difficult, isn't it? And many times, that really, to me, separates those who actually have the power and see God work in their life is whether or not they're willing to relinquish control. And relinquishing control, it has to happen first in order for God to show up, as I said earlier. Think of some of the stories in the Bible. Moses didn't get to go, hey, we're we're leaving Egypt and God's going to part the Red Sea. See, look, it's already parted. See, it's already parted. Now let's go walk across it. No, he had to lead hundreds of thousands of Israelites 
with Pharaoh and his army coming to kill him, to stand at the edge of the Red Sea while it's still there, not parted, and believe that when he holds up his staff, God's going to part the sea. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 10, had to go out into battle and believe that God was going to make the sun stand still. He had to go out first. God didn't do his action first. He had to actually act first. That's how faith, that's how trust looks. We have to relinquish control. We have to say, I know that I want to find that person to marry and spend my life with. And God, you better provide that person. And if you do, then you'll prove yourself to me and I'll start following you. Instead, you say, I'm going to go out, God. And if you never provide somebody for me, I'm going to be disappointed. But I'm going to worship you in the good and the back. I'm going to bad. I'm going to seek your kingdom first. It means, God, that if I did an amazing job at my work and I got a huge pay raise or I get a a huge demotion and I can't pay a bill, I know that you're still there and still sovereign. And I'm going to trust you and acknowledge you first and you'll make my path straight because we get ourselves awful distracted and by the enemy gets us overwhelmed and stressed out and we give up all the margins of our life because we try and seek control. We don't want to give it up. I could tell you anything I've seen done well in my life has always come when I've relinquished control over to him. But some of you think he doesn't care anymore. You think he doesn't really want to provide for you. And you don't trust him that if you get away that you could actually be broken of addiction. You don't believe that the marriage struggles you have been having for three decades could actually be healed. You don't believe that the problem in your child's life could ever be resolved. You don't believe that God cares for the brokenhearted and the things that you've been enduring in your life. Let me read Isaiah 58, verse 11 to you. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. That if we seek his kingdom first, he is going to provide for us. He is going to give us spiritual health. He is going to take the burdens of this world and turn them into something he can use. That you could be dying of cancer. And if you surrender that over to him, he could use it for his kingdom purpose. Guess what? Everybody's going to die. It's what we do with the trials that matters. It means that you, you can be going through the worst season of your life and lose a child and you know that God could start a church with it. It means that person could break your heart and you know that they could never take away the most important relationship to you, which is the power of Jesus Christ and his authority in your life because he was crucified and rose from the grave on the third day, that you're no longer alone, that his spirit is with you in whatever you're facing. The, the veil was torn in two, and whatever you're facing today, his spirit is in you. Your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that could never be taken away. They could ne- put Paul in a jail cell, couldn't take it away. He says, you could kill me today, or I could live for 100 years, but both are gain because Jesus Christ is with me, and that can never be taken from me but you got to seek his kingdom first and the question is what are you seeking today are you seeking money power popularity prestige everything the world is telling you that you can't live without these things and this is what will bring meaning to your life or are you seeking his kingdom first his righteousness and all these things will be added to you jesus gave his life crucified on the cross and rose from the grave like that because he loves you he cares for you and no matter what the enemy has been whispering in your ear he is right here with you and he's never going to give up on you that's why on the cross jesus says my god my god why am i forsaken Saul so, recite Psalm 22, that's a messianic prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. 
That with his last words, you could know he was the one that was forsaken so that you would never have to feel that way ever again. That he is with you and whatever you're facing. But you have to seek him first. And, and then all these things will be added to you. Will you relinquish control in your life? Will you relinquish control in your life? Will you relinquish control in your life? Will you pray with me? God, I just know that you have been speaking to some people this morning. And I know that there are people in this room right now that they've been around church, they've been around Christianity, they've heard your good news before, but they have never given control of their life to you. They've always sought control. They've always asked you to act first instead of giving you control and seeking your kingdom first. And that's you in the room. And you would like to not just receive salvation, but surrender your entire life, the control of your life over to his lordship. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Pray this with me. God, I need you. I'm no longer going to do this life on my own. I relinquish control of my entire life to you. I receive your forgiveness. I repent of my wrongdoing. I give you complete control of my life. God, we love you. We thank you that you're sovereign, and we worship you together as a church family. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.